Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. I feel like today's going to be a fun episode. And I feel like you just played footsie with me under the table. Uh, <laughs> I think it was the other way around. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, uh-huh. Welcome to the Mountain Bike Podcast, where we talk about mountain bikes, not playing footsie. We'll cover a bunch of different things, a lot of questions today. Yeah. This is going to be kind of a quick episode, because Stephen, we're actually recording this in the future kind of I'm not here right now. You aren't. Where are you? Somewhere between Nevada and Aspen, Colorado. Ah, Aspen. Yeah. Yeah, Where the beer flows like wine. Yes. (laughs) And the women instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, this is true. So uh, let's cover some more mountain bike stuff today. Uh, We're doing this ahead of time so then we don't miss a week. Because we don't want to do that to you guys anymore. No, no. We're trying to be as, as good as possible about being on time. So a uh, couple things. First, mtbpodcast.com. That's where you can find this podcast. That's where you can subscribe. You can share the podcast. You can share that website. Uh, you can get some sweet shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, things like that. Stuff. Yes, plenty of stuff. You know what would be cool? We should get top caps done. Oh. Oh, that'd be actually a really good idea. Top caps that like to party. Dang. Yes. And we can make them like ultra light too. They don't have to be like heavy janky ones. Yeah, yeah. None of that. Like actually make them good. Dang. We should do this. I like this. I just had brilliance. I like it. Is that plural brilliant or is that brilliance <laughs> All I know like is an adjective? That, that now I've, I've exhausted the stores and now we're, this is going to be a bad episode because it's all gone now. Dang it. Any bit of brilliance just left with that one. Anyways, okay. you can find us on the socials. Where at, Stephen? Uh, MTB Podcast. Yes. On Instagram. The MTB Podcast on Twitter. Yes. And MTB Podcast on Facebook. Yes. Find us there. And we're actually, I'm going to be putting up the episodes on YouTube. We've had some requests from people to put them on YouTube, and then they can just listen to them at work on the, on the low, if you know what I mean. You can ah. just like, di- you know, minimize the window and listen that way. Fair. So easier, I guess, to listen that way than maybe SoundCloud. I don't know. But anyways, we're going to put them up on YouTube. It's not going to be a recording of us recording the podcast, because trust me, you don't want to see any, you know, we don't want to see us. We're yeah, I'm back. like average at best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. We're, we're in a very nice room here at Trainer Road HQ, but it still wouldn't make for interesting viewing. Yeah. Uh, this is meant to be listened to. So, uh, but we'll put it up there and we'll just put on like a sweet picture and then yeah, you'll put pretty pictures of bikes and things. Indeed. So uh, you can check that out. Uh, also some reviews. Stephen, are there any standout reviews? That There's a share? couple. Then um, we should get some more going. You can go on iTunes and yeah. leave a five-star review. And if you don't feel like it's five-star review, let us know why or what we can do to change. Yes. Anyone that stands out, Stephen? So as far as standouts, um, we've got uh, from 303 Diamond. Mm. uh, Neil. Yes. Yes, Neil Diamond. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the one and only. From Colorado. (laughs) 303, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Or something. Isn't that an area code in Colorado? Something like that. I don't know. Anyway. Thanks, Neil Um, Diamond. Says, yes, look no further. This is the best MTB show. Keep up the great work. All I think about is bikes. So it's nice to hear other thoughts on the same subject. There we are. So kind of cool. Good. Short to the point. Five stars as we require. It's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. At least say something. You know, five stars is great, but five stars with some sort of funny anecdote. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty good stuff. We like it. I like it. So leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. And uh, Stephen, with that, let's get straight into the news. News time. News team, assemble! Something we didn't cover last time was the U.S. Open of the mountain bikes, or downhill specifically. It happened, and... The, actually, the results kind of mixed it up from what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So they had, uh, first of all, a, 
uh, we should clarify the U.S. Open is not the U. Is not the championships, not the national championship. It's just yeah. a big race. And the interesting thing about this one is they had some rain coming into it, and it was back east. And and as a result, the it ended up making a more technical race out of the things. Mm-hmm. Some surprising results on the podium. Uh, first of all, Rafael Gutierrez got fourth. Kudos, Rafael. Aaron Gwynn got fourth. That's the big surprise to me, right? No, Anytime. Aaron Gwynn got second. Oh, geez, Aaron Pink Gwynn got bike second. has some grammars issues. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I think Aaron Gwynn got second. He might have gotten third. I can't tell because sometimes people mess up yeah, the Yeah, because there's two seconds. It says Dakota Norton <laughs> yeah. and Aaron Gwynn both got second, so they apparently tied. Regardless, Nico Mullally carried the, the YT mob flag up to first. Attaboy. Dakota Norton decided to get second with Aaron Gwynn, and they just decided to never have a third, I guess. I'm not really yeah. sure. And then Magnus Manson ended up getting fifth. So kudos to all. Pretty pretty awesome stuff. Uh, that's that, And then Jill Kintner ended up getting the, the win on the female side, so yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah, uh, It's good to see bigger races like this coming around. It was $5,000 to the first place uh, finisher. Yeah, how long has it been since the U.S. Open? Ooh. It's been on a hiatus for, what, four or five, maybe so. six years? Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time. So, so it's good to see it back. I want to see some you know resurgence of the U.S., MTB world. I mean, it's... Yeah, we could use some more races, and they're coming. They're yeah. coming around, it looks like. So uh, next thing, Stephen, <clears throat> there's been a disturbance in the force. Oh, man, the new Bromad. Yes, the Bromad. The new Santa Cruz Nomad, a.k.a. Bromad, has been released. So it's like the the Santa Cruz Driver 8 and the VP Free and the V10 all rolled into one. <laughs> it's a, so it's like the VP Free Nomad 6.5. Uh, or just like inline four VTEC something VTEC yes <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah once you hit a certain pedal cadence <laughs> yes it kicks in yeah uh, we're joking uh, it's always fun to poke fun at the Santa Cruz Bros they're they're an easy target just like we're an easy target for caring too much about the aesthetics of our bikes uh, yeah exactly so so you can poke fun at us too but uh, anyways it's got a linkage arm that's I think longer. It's longer than the stanchions on a normal trail bike fork. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 160 millimeters long. Yeah, that's the linkage, just the, the linkage for the rear swing arm. Yeah. Super long. And the reason it is low light, or the reason it has to be long like that is because the shock is mounted very low in the triangle. And it's actually attached to the lower linkage. Yes. Yeah. And the shock actually runs through the seat tube. The seat tube is a splayed seat tube. So it comes down, then it splits into two, and the shock goes through the center of that seat tube. Uh, it's uh, clever in one way because it is lowering and centering mass, mm-hmm. which is a good thing to do. Yeah. If more companies can strive to do that, they'll have a better handling bike. That's just how the science works right yeah. there. Physics is pretty awesome. Yes, it is. Uh, and it's also interesting because it looks like what they did. So so actually, before we get into the linkage a little more, it, it does have a, <clears throat> a 64.6 or 65 degree head angle, aka mm-hmm. angle setness that you can run in there. Yeah. So it's 27 and a half inch wheels, uh, which, be, which is interesting because they're doing 29 inch wheels on their V10. Fair. I, w- I bet they're going to have a release next year of the 29 Nomad. It's probably coming. I bet that. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can see that. It'll be the Tallboy 4 Nomad V10 driver V-tech. 6 yes. VTEC. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, MSRP of 4,499 is the lowest, uh, up to 8,399 I think might be the highest end one. Probably not. I'm sure you can get one more expensive. Yeah. But um, interesting notes. Uh, Santa Cruz is releasing their own carbon wheels now on this bike. That's pretty yeah. interesting. So it looks like they've got like reinforced spoke beds and then lightened up center sections. And 
Um, so that's kind of cool. That's interesting to, to see, see, you know, whoever's making it, you know, it's the Santa Cruz reserve line of wheels. Yeah. Um, you know, they've been doing a lot of their own branded stuff lately. So right. this is actually good to see. I almost wonder if they're DT, but I don't know. I mean, DT doesn't have any like reinforced spoke beds. Like no, no, this is definitely not a DT wheel. It's yeah. not an NV wheel. I guarantee this is a private label, you know, yeah. Chinese manufactured, just like most other just wheels. Like, yeah, big shock people. Yeah. It's all so, made there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the frame's made over there, so might as well make the wheels too. It's Indeed. not a bad thing anymore. Put it all in one box. Exactly. Save on the freights. Exactly. That's the way to do it. So what I do find interesting, yeah. and I'll let you you know speak to this as well, is one of the reviewers talks about how this is the downhill bike that you don't need a shuttle for, yet they strategically placed a shuttle pad pad <laughs> on the down tube of the bike so you don't scratch the paint. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, that's I, pretty funny. I just uh, can we I, all just be real for a bit? Yeah, like people buying the Nomad, <clears throat> they just want to shred. Yeah, and they're and pr- probably a little disappointed that there isn't a stow a storage uh, box in the frame. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> so that they can party while they party. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And we're joking around once again, but um, yeah, it is funny, right? They have like a shuttling pad, like a down to protector, built into the frame. And right then, where it sits on the tailgate. Right. And yeah. the marketing guy's like, it's not for the guy that likes to shuttle. And it's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's not it only is. for him. It was yeah. made for him. Yeah. The yeah. only way that I can think of that where that would come in handy is if you had some type of a gargantuan wheel that would bottom out and hit there. And it doesn't. So. Yeah. And all, that wouldn't really help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if your wheel's hitting your frame when you bottom out, you're going to need more than a pad. Exactly. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, but it looks good. I like it. Yeah. It weighs 30 pounds, and it's got uh, boostness all around, metric shock sizing. And the interesting thing is they said it's linearly progressive. In other words, if you were to graph this, it wouldn't be a curved line. It sounds like it's just a straight line, but it's constantly going upward. Yeah, so that would... so It's I, more linear than anything else, though, because well, a lot of shock companies call that linear, but or a lot of suspension designs call that linear yeah. rather than... You know. Well, it could be that, or it could be that marketing people have no idea what they're talking about when it comes mm-hmm. to you know basic algebra. And yeah, the, the, yeah. You take a study, and some guy says, "I like linear." Another guy says, "I like progressive." So marketing says, "Well, it's linearly progressive." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we can't upset anybody, right? That's how that works. So, uh, but it's good to see, and there's also a women's version, a Juliana version, which is uh, pretty cool there too. Yeah, uh, it looks like it comes spec to the reverb. You can get it also with uh, the X01 Eagle Group set on there. Looks like it has a new lyric. Pretty sweet setup, man. I wonder if it comes with codes. That's I, I was actually going to ask if it comes with guides or codes. Yeah, um, those look like guides to me on those photos. But I'm sure yeah. there's different spec on different versions. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, it depends on when it's coming to market, I guess, because the codes are really you know just released publicly to some pros. But um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So if you look at the old one, this one looks like it sits a little lower into the wheels. It might just be the aesthetics of because the shock is lower, but it kind of looks like that, right? I think, well, the way that the down tube comes forward out of the bottom bracket Mm -hmm. super far, you know, for where that shock sits. Down tube. Yeah. So I think that's part of why it looks like it sits so much lower. Um, I do like that that khaki quicksand color. So any of you guys have like a TRD Pro Tacoma or Forerunner or Tundra, you know, there you go. There's a color match for you. Yeah, it's so, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, quicksand for mini army bro. So I wonder if they make Tomirs for Tacomas <laughs> for all those guys. Yeah, he, this does not come with a stack, I don't think, to yeah. come out of the back of your truck. But a gas engine with a stack yeah, in the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's it looks interesting and it's going to be a massive seller because the no Santa Cruz number one make awesome bikes. Yep. Uh, number two, Santa Cruz has a pretty loyal following, so yep. it's going to sell well and it looks like a good bike, man. Uh, pretty cool stuff. Totally. So, yep. Good job, Santa Cruz. Way to push things. Uh, oh, uh, also important, it has a little mud guard, so that way mud doesn't get into your shock. That's actually pretty cool. I yeah. like that. Yeah, that is pretty nice. I like that. Good stuff. So, well done, Santa Cruz. Well done indeed. And we apologize to anybody that has a Santa Cruz and is shaking their head at us right now. We're just having fun. Yeah. We, we love you guys. I used to ride a Nomad. Yep. Yeah. That's true. And now I ride a Cannondale of all things. So, I mean, who am I, right? There we go. Yeah. yeah. All right, Stephen, let's get into a bunch of questions. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. That's debatable. First one is from Luis. He says, I have a 2016 Yeti SB6C and I'm looking to change tires wheels for wider ones. Currently I ride with a 2.3 front and rear. Do you think 2.5s would make a difference? If so, what width of rims would you recommend? 33 or 38? Or any idea idea if wider wheels will fit? Thanks and congratulations on your great podcast. Thanks, Luis. Well, I, I think... The first question I would have is what is your what difference are you trying to attain by putting wider wheels on? That's a good point. You know, because because and now I'll just represent the common thought right now, wider is better, but is it? But why? And what are you trying to gain out of it? So what would what would wider tires or wheels get gain me? Wider wheels with a a uh, like a wide tread type tire that's actually the carcass is designed to be on a wider rim. Um, is going to give you a bigger footprint. Okay. You know, the new the new setup where Maxxis is doing their wide trails and then their 2.6s are keeping the same overall diameter of the tire, but they're just making them wider so you get a better footprint. So traction is, you know, far increased. You also have less issues with pinch flatting. Right. It, it typically. You know, the other right. thing is with a wider wheel, though, you start dealing with instead of pinch flatting, now you're bashing your rim against things. Yeah. So um, especially with carbon, not mm -hmm. so bueno all the time. No. Um, you know, my sweet spot, and it, it's always been this way, you know, in all of the invention of going with, you know, ridiculously wide internal widths. I've always thought that 28 to 31 millimeters is like the sweet spot for an internal, and that's on a 235 to a 2.5 yep. tire. A two, uh, 33 or 38 is huge. That's a huge. That's bordering on plus. Yeah. Plus bikes are usually you know 40 or wider. I, I don't. The key, once again with this, is your tires need to be designed. So your tires are designed with an intended internal rim width. They're, they're tested that way and designed thusly. Yeah. So if you are running uh, a, a tire, like I see people run super wide tires on narrow rims yeah. or just a standard tire on a really wide rim, and you're not going to be getting the intended use out of that tire. So, or I should say intended benefits or performance. So I, I think that it's all about pairing what you have. Yeah. If you have narrower rims, you're still going to be better off pairing a 2.3 to that, to that wheel. Yeah, to a 25 mil internal rim. A 2.3 yeah. is going to be perfect. It's going to be better than if you ran a 2.5 on that. If you get a 2.5, the tire is going to be domed because yeah. it has to pinch in so far, yeah. and it's such a wide tire. It's going to be domed, and you're going to have a less flat tire profile on less the Less sidewall support, less, yep. you know, for cornering. There's, there's a lot of downsides to it. Yeah, there are. So <clears throat> I agree, like 28... Uh, up to 31 area, that's going to be like, that's sweet spot. Area. And I say 31 because that's, you know, the M70 high volume from Envy, the WTBCI 31, you know, the, that's about the limit of most of the enduro 
um, for now, for now, that's where the limit really exists. Anything higher, Mm -hmm. you're really just, I hate to say it, but like, you know, I love the Ibis wheels. I love what they have for, um, you know, just for availability and price points and all of that. But I just don't think anything 35 and up is really beneficial for anything. I agree. And you know what, though? I think that once we get tires changed around, once we get rims changed around and everything else, I think that you do get more traction. You could get a more supportive tire technically out of a larger structure like that. You might be able to build some stuff in. Yeah. But I think it's going to be time. Like, eventually, I think we'll all be on plus bikes, so to speak. But they won't be plus bikes. They'll just be bikes. Yeah. I mean, now you look at what tires are on standard mountain bikes are really plus bikes size compared to what they were in the totally. late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. You know, 2.1 was a huge tire back then. Yeah. Now, crazy nobody man. runs 2.1s. No. Not, not even, even XC guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're all running 2.2s to 2.3.5s in that area. So Exactly. Yeah, kind of crazy. So, yeah, that's what I would, uh, in, as far as fitting on the SB6, do you think you'll have any issues? Um, you should be able to fit anything up to a 2.5, no matter what width of um, rim it's on. The thing you're going to want to be careful of is on your chain stays and seat stays, you're going to want to put some sort of like, you know, protective material there because you're going to grab rocks mm-hmm. and mud and bring it in and you don't want to scratch that up and actually mar up your swing arm. And something on the lines of that is, uh, and we'll cover this a little bit. Somebody actually has a question about that very thing, but this is something that you want to replace pretty regularly in terms of that, that protective material mm-hmm. on the frame. It's not something you just put on once and call it good. Yeah. So Jeff, he says, hi guys, thanks for producing such an awesome podcast. I've just purchased a Marin Hawk Hill and I'm really enjoying it. I'm in New Zealand and getting, and uh, get to my local riding spot in Auckland Woodhill forest as much as I can. I just wondered what your upgrade tips would be. Remote dropper post is the obvious one, but I'm thinking the brakes and front suspension could be the first to go again. Keep up the great work. So Marin Hawk Hill, what things would we do to it first? First things first. Uh, obviously, I, I would say a dropper post for sure. Yes. Um, from there, I would honestly ride it and enjoy it. Yeah. And as parts fail, start to upgrade them. So yeah, front fork, rear shock, probably going to need to be replaced. Um, eventually, wheel set. That's that's where you're going to gain the most mm-hmm. is by reducing mass on the wheel because rotating mass has a larger effect than just static sprung mass totally so i think the drivetrain is probably the last thing that you'll need to yeah, change out absolutely and contact points too like sure you can save some weight but it's well specced in terms of the 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 geo and, and everything else and ergonomics on that bike yeah so i would say yeah first thing is going to be su- suspension and as you change out the suspension or dropper post then suspension uh, they're all kind of suspension things there. Yeah. And then from there, you can make a decision on on wheels or, or tires or anything else. But yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, like you said, though, I can't hit that home enough. Just ride it. And it's amazing what like, a, and I'm using air quotes here, a low end fork can do these days. They're like the high ends for high end forks from three years ago. Yeah. So you can get a lot of mileage out of that thing. And it's a, such a sweet bike, like in terms of price point. Yeah. Pretty cool. Mike, great podcast, guys. I recently got back into riding last year after a couple of years off. Loving it more than ever. I ride one to two times a week and consider myself a mid to low expert rider. More than intermediate, but not full-blown expert. I'm typically in the top third of downhill Strava segments, and I want to get into enduro racing, but I know more skill improvement would be beneficial. I've heard about skills camps and have looked into better ride camps in Moab, Utah. My question is, should I just start racing or should I save my money this year for the, for the entry fees, travel and invest in a three day camp with better ride? I think we've gotten like nearly the exact same question before. We have. Yeah. Yeah. 
He says, uh, my question is, uh, forgive me. He says, what would you recommend? Also, are there other camps you would recommend? I live in Salt Lake City in Utah. So somewhere around Utah, Colorado, Nevada would be best. Thanks and keep up the good work. I, I think that, so I do think that investing in a camp beforehand is going to be a good idea just because you can show up and race and, and, and do all you can and you might improve fitness, but chances are in a race scenario, scenario you're not going to improve bike handling because you're just going to be kind of, you know, balls to the wall, eyes, eyes, you know, wide open, yeah. just going, you know, so probably not improving your technique. That said, uh, a camp can be a good way to do it, but I really prescribed the theory of having one-on-one time with the coach. Yeah. And I know that you get one-on-one time in these camps, but I'd really mean one-on-one time. So a coach can really just learn how you work exactly. and then help you out. There's a lot to be said with that. And you don't necessarily need like, you know, a, a coach or a camp or anything else like that. If you know of somebody that can communicate well what you should do on the bike and yeah, would, you know, have the opportunity or facility to be able to do that, then sometimes it's just best to be like, hey, man, like I really need some help with this. Can you help me out? And yeah. I don't know if you pay that guy or however, however it works, but that can go a long way too. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I nothing to add there. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I would say is this is probably like, I'm sure this someday, if this podcast would ever get picked up or syndicated by somebody, I don't think it'll get syndicated by GMBN, the global mountain bike network, but I can't, I can't say to watch their videos, man. Like, their technique videos, some of them are really bad. They had a whole video talking about how you should not use the front brake. I was just like, because it'll throw you over the bar. Because 80% of your braking is just like, not needed. What are we doing here? <laughs> like, you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of views on this. And like, so many people are probably riding incorrectly now. So uh, I would not look for their guidance on that. But, you know, another one, Ryan Leach. He has a full online system you can do. You pay for it, and it's so good. Like, seriously, so good. And he walks you through all the different stuff, like day by day of what you need to do. That's what I would recommend yeah. right there. And the other part of it is the thing you got to remember with Enduro is the descending part of it is only it's marginal. Mm, that's not a, a, you know, that's not the main focus of Enduro. You still have to have, you know, I'm, I, when it comes to descents, I'm usually top 10, Yeah, not top 10%, top 10, pretty much everywhere I go. And well, short of like Santa Cruz, where like hundreds of thousands of people are riding. Right. So, you know, I, I'm always in the top, you know, You're very up. top echelon on the descents. But that doesn't mean anything for, you know, most enduro because you yeah. still have to have the fitness. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, too, with enduro comes to not just being able to negotiate the terrain, but intelligently carrying momentum through that terrain exactly. is the is the biggest thing. Yeah. Because then that allows you to utilize your fitness more, you know, efficiently and everything else too. So yeah, uh, Ryan Leach, I would recommend look online. You can find his uh, Ryan Leach skills uh, videos and courses. And like I said, you like pay a membership fee. And then after that, you have access to all his videos and, or it's just some of them too. And it's so good, like seriously helpful. And when you have his membership, you get to see his uncle's reruns of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Yeah, that's probably not true at all. (laughs) I was like, I've never seen that, and I remember. So Uh, he said, Alan says, hey, guys, still digging the podcast, been listening since episode one. A drivetrain maintenance question. Is sticky black grime on the the jockey wheels normal after a few rides? My bike and drivetrain has just under 300 miles on it. After most rides, I at least spray down the bike, wipe down the chain, and re-lube the chain. After longer or dirtier rides, I scrub the entire drivetrain using a park tool brush and simple green, then re-lube, of course. 
Also, I ride in Southern California, and while conditions might ostensibly be dry and dusty, I often also ride in the Angeles Oaks and Big Bear areas, and thus get a fair amount of mildly moist dirt. But yeah, I'm often not riding in, or I'm often riding in, in, uh, he says, I think he meant muddy conditions there. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that's what he means. So I'm not sure what that typo-ness moving on. The grime seems to appear on the jockey wheels after just a couple rides. If I don't fully scrub down the drivetrain, I've been using TriFlow as a lube, just switched to a two part lube. Sorry. can't recall the brand or type, but I'm still getting the grime. So yeah, will a different lube help or will only unicorn sweat? Keep the grime at bay. Thanks guys. Keep up the great content. Well, first of all, Alan, the, the grime itself is dirty and used lube pushing out from the bushings of your chain. That's yep. normal. That's yeah. typical. Yep. You always have to clean that off. That always. there's no lube that ever doesn't do that. Yep. So that's actually once you once you lube your chain, you're getting lubrication, you know, some sort of grease or, you know, and I say grease because that's the the best term for it, but you're getting right. some sort of lubricant inside the chain itself. Hopefully. As chain collects let's, dirt. Let's let's cover something really yeah. quick. A lot of people I've seen, especially in the motocross world, where you spray on that that lube, or if you have spray on uh, lube that you're using on your bike, which isn't usually very yeah. good stuff, but yeah. if you spray on lube, I see a lot of them just like spray it sideways, like at the side of the links. Yeah, and that's, that's not good. Yeah, it's not. You great. want to get it on the rollers. Yeah, you want to get it on the rollers, the actual bushing yep. assemblies. And so, you know, what you're essentially seeing is as that that lube gets used and filled with dirt and it gets contaminated, it slowly pushes itself out of the pins and onto your jockey wheels. You'll yep. notice it on your narrow wide um, yep. chain ring up front. If you have a narrow wide, you'll notice it on your cassette teeth eventually. But the, the part where it builds up almost instantly is right on your jockey wheels. So That's normal. Yeah, it's totally normal. Yep. And as long as you clean it, you're good. You can use different type of lube. I'm sure that you'll might find one that doesn't build up as quickly. Yeah. But that probably just means that it's just a thinner type of a lube that doesn't uh, that doesn't accumulate quite as much inside there. So, so it doesn't have as much to push out. Yeah. If you're looking at some sort of like wax lube or any sort of dry mm -hmm. Teflon lube or anything like that, those are going to build up the fastest. Yep, exactly. So uh, I I use uh, that Demonitech light uh, mm -hmm. chain lube. You use the Pedro stuff, and we both suffer from that, but it's just part it of my cleaning yeah. regime. So every time when I clean my, my stuff, I have a little brush, and I just hold it on there and spin the jockey wheels, and it takes it off. Yeah. It's that simple. Old toothbrushes work. Yes, as we covered last episode. Yeah. yeah, and let's cover this. Those silly, silly chain cleaner things. That the you boxes like, that you get from Pedro's yes. or Park or whatever. They're so dumb. These they, things do they not work. They do not work. Don't yeah. get them. Yeah. So I know they seem like a great idea, but no, it does not work. Yeah. I just take Honestly, a sandblaster to the side of my bike. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. I'm just um, kidding. I, if you take, I take a rag, I, I spray on some simple green under my drivetrain. And then after that, I take a rag. And if I use that rag and just like grip onto the chain and scrub it that way, it gets super clean. Yeah. Uh, I just do it regularly. Yeah. So I use Adam's all purpose cleaner diluted three to one. It's very similar to like a simple green. Yeah. And then I just scrub the cassette, scrub the chain with a, with a, uh, an actual dirty rag. And then I just rinse it all off, let everything dry. Relube it. it. Now that I'm on Eagle, I've gotten away from, and I know that there's this debate that the the 11 speed power links from SRAM are one time use only. But for years, I've removed and reinstalled 11 speeds and never had one fail. And I have. But with that said, going on the Eagle now, those are definitely one time use, and yeah. you do not want to ever put those back together. So now I'm having to adjust my regiment where I used to remove my chain. Yeah. 
soak it in gas, then clean it and let it dry and then hang it with, you know, lube and then switch chains out. I would have two for every bike. Now I don't do that because power links are expensive in 12 speed. Quite. Yeah. Not cheap. I think retail, they're like six bucks a piece. That's ridiculous. It's terrible. All right. Uh, Kyle, uh, he says, Hey guys, just wanted to say how awesome the podcast is. I've learned so much about the technical aspect of mountain bikes from you guys. And I'm eternally grateful. Good to hear it, Kyle. Glad we could be of help. He says, I was only recently turned onto the podcast and I've got to say timing couldn't have been worse. The past two weeks have been filled with my law school finals. And instead of studying, all I've been doing is all I've been able to do is listen to you guys wax poetically about all things mountain bike. <laughs> Thanks for doing such an awesome job creating content for the entire spectrum of bike people. Keep rocking the free world. Awesome, Kyle. Well, you should, uh, you should probably just uh, turn the podcast off for a bit and focus on them law school finals. Yeah. Cause we might need you later in life. Or at least I might, I might <laughs> say the true. wrong thing to the wrong person. I yeah. Know. I mean, we might be getting sued by Santa Cruz bros for, for our jest earlier. So. Exactly. So Kyle back to the grindstone, Kyle, hit us up. We may need some help on that. Uh, Chris, but in all honesty, thanks, Kyle. Good yeah, to have thank you. you. Chris, he says, hey, guys, just left my review on iTunes. Five stars for sure. You guys do a great job and provide some really good content. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. This, yeah. is, this is all great. We're all we're all mm-hmm. blushing over here. He says, as I write this, I'm days away from picking up my new Stump Jumper Comp Carbon 29, and I'm pretty excited to hit the trails. This will be my first carbon frame, and I would like to keep it free of nicks and scratches if possible. I know there is all mountain-style frame protection, 3M tape, etc." but wanted to get your opinion on what is the best frame protection since both of you have some of the nicest and expensive bikes out there. Probably about true. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully one day I'll have a Yeti and he says drink (laughs) and be as cool as you too. Anyways, thanks for the help. Keep the great, keep the great content coming. Chris, chances are you're cooler than us. So don't worry about that. Yeah, we're not that cool. No, we are not. Yeah. Um, But your question about frame protection is a cool question. It's something that a lot of people should be doing on all of their frames and they're probably not. So what do you do, Jonathan? Uh, Invisiframe. They are so good. Their kits are actually pretty nice. They're very well made. Uh, if yeah. you look them up, they even do like custom decals now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but they, their stuff is so well made. They go through the process of when a new bike comes out, they go to a dealership and they, or they find people with those bikes and they go there and they find on different sizes, they create templates for each size. Yep. It's pretty amazing. And it if is. they haven't measured out a template for that size, they don't sell it. Yeah. They won't sell you. Yeah, exactly. They're it's like, they're really phenomenal. Good. And the cool thing about Invisiframe is they don't use cheap, thin material. They actually use, um, um, Expel. Yes. When, uh, which is the highest end automotive type it's clear like bra material clear bra yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's actually what i use as well yeah. but i happen to have friends that are in that industry and i just hand them my frame and i get it back and it's fully wrapped and when that's i say sweet. fully wrapped it's not like an invisa frame where it's done in strategic points and most of you know where you yeah. might bash it it's the entire frame is it's, wrapped in it yeah nearly the entire thing yeah, yeah it's pretty impressive yeah. so it's expensive though to do it that way yeah i mean it's a couple hundred bucks to do your frame that way i mean what's yeah. an invisible frame kit uh cost? it depends it depends on the bike i think uh yeah, I can't say offhand, but it's worth the it's investment. It's well worth the money. No totally worth what. it. And the thing is with your specialized, guaranteed Invisiframe has a kit for your totally. bike in your size. I'm sure. If yeah. you have like a more rare bike, then it might be difficult to find. But yeah. I'm sure that they have it. Uh, and they do really good stuff. The all-mountain style, I see a lot of people have those, and they get like rough texture. 
rocks don't care the texture of your vinyl. They yeah. don't care about it. Like no, they don't at all. Like they just bash. They so, care. so it doesn't do you any good to have like a textured rough surface. That's not, that's not any rougher than just having a clear glossy. Yeah. Surface. That's just harder to get the dirt out of when you clean your bike. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Yeah. And also I just don't agree with having like the templated ones like that because then you'll be basically when you are not the templated ones, but the non-templated where it's just like a random piece that you stick on there. Yeah. Because then you're basically saying, rocks, if you decide to hit my frame, please hit them in this location. And they, they don't care. And rocks have their own agenda. So, they do. Yeah. They, indeed, they do. So I would say InvisiFrame, that's the way to go. That's the best stuff that I've used. Yep. And the the templates are so well made. And the cool thing with InvisiFrame is they ship to the U.S. regularly. They're, they yeah. don't have a U.S. distributor, I don't think, but they're quick to get here. Super quick. Yeah. I think the last time I got it, I got it in like four days, three days. Yeah. It was fast. Yeah, so. that's faster than Charles Lindbergh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. History. <laughs> yes. Uh, Patrick, hey guys, still loving the still loving the podcast. Five Googles for you. I wonder if he meant stars. No, he meant Googles. Five oh. Googles. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Definitely yeah. a thing. Yeah. I need some help spending money. Last week I completed my second ever mountain bike race. It was an XC race and it was a blast. And to top it off, I want a $1,000 credit towards a new Norco. Holy cow. Cool. What type of, what type of Cat 3 XC race gives you a $1,000 credit for winning? I don't know. I want to go there. That's pretty next level stuff. My initial thoughts were that I wanted a mid-travel 29er with boosted hubs. Looking at the Norco lineup, it seems like they only make 29ers in carbon, which is a bit out of my price range. So I've been eyeing the internets for full suspension 7.2, for the full suspension plus 7.2, and the site 7.3. I was hoping you guys could break down these two bikes for me. Thanks in advance. Okay, so we took a look at these bikes and broke down the geometry, the specs, and everything else. And basically what you have between these two bikes is you have the Torrent FS Plus 7.2. That's a plus bike. And then you have the Site 7.3, which is more their trail mini enduro bike. And both of them have almost spot-on geometry. Yeah, geometry almost exactly the the same. Yeah, it's almost the same on both of those. So the site has basically a Maestro link. It's really similar to that, uh, which is par for the course for Norco. But then on the Torrent, it has something. It almost looks like a Kona. It's it's a little bit different. It's still technically like a Maestro link, but it's definitely got that just a a more aggressive uh, pivot, I think. Yeah. Um, It's just going to create a little bit different kinematics. I don't think we've, you know, we don't really... We haven't gone deep into yeah. what exactly that will provide. Yeah. It looks like it may be a little more linear, but we don't know. Yeah. Um, I would say a little bit more linear than anything Yeah. Um, yeah. on the torrent. Right. Uh, That's but, the plus bike. Yeah. But with that said, I mean, it seems like the, in my opinion, the, the torrent, okay, it's a plus bike new fad. Everybody thinks that's cool. Great. You could put a set of regular 29 inch wheels with a 2.2, 2.3 tire on it and have a pretty decent XC bike. Yeah. That's a 140 fork, 130 rear travel. It looks like the torrent is set up with lighter parts all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, level brakes. Uh, you've got a, I think that's going to have a, um, a lighter fork, lighter shock. Yeah. So, but I think for well-rounded bikes, the site, 7.3 seems a little bit better. The only thing is if you really want plus bikes, you can't put, you know, you can't set that up plus. So that's, and I guess that, so this is more of like a a specific question to Patrick, but here's the principle that can apply to everybody. One thing that's really cool about plus bikes is the fact that you can usually switch them over to 29 and you just have to make sure that your clearance or tolerances are are still in place. So uh, that can be something that's really nice to have. 
to be able to switch things over and save some weight on that bike. Yep. Uh, but I do think that the site looks like it's probably a better buy for the majority of riding that people will be doing. Agreed. So I think that with a plus bike to do it really well, it usually ends up being pretty darn expensive. Exactly. So, yep. Hassan says, would you recommend getting insurance for mountain bikes? And if so, any insurance companies that are better than others? I recently up updated from a Gary Fisher Sugar that I had for many years uh, to a Spot Rolex 557 that I really love. It is also the most the most that I've ever spent on a bike. To put it in perspective, we moved from Marin uh, to California, San Francisco Bay Area two years ago, and I've been robbed twice here when I left stuff out for out of sight for a little bit. It would be really sad if somebody stole my bike. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. So insurance, um, I actually have an addendum on my homeowner's policy specifically for bikes. Smart. So, you know, so I basically have an extra, um, God, I don't remember. I think I upped it from 50,000. Um, but I have an addendum specifically for bikes because, yep. um, and it, it follows the bikes. If I lock them on my, um, co-op bike rack on the back of my truck and someone cuts my locks and takes my bike covered. If somebody breaks into my garage, covered. If I'm mowing my lawn and my garage door's open, if if I'm home and they still go in and take it, it's covered. Yep. So, you know, that's just with my standard homeowner's policy. And you can do the same thing with a renter's policy, depending Usually, on your brand. Usually, yeah, yeah. Depending yeah. on your, not your brand, but your uh, um, your insurance company. Yeah. But other than that, um, there's, I don't know any of the other like bicycle specific insurance companies. Um, they're all going to be more expensive. Do you know which company you have? Which I'm company? with Farmers. Yep. And I, so with State Farm, I have an addendum to cover my bikes as well. Yeah. So that's. You talk to Jake? Uh, no, I don't know who Jake is. Oh, Jake I know. State Farm. Yeah, Come on, yeah. Dude. Of course, the commercials. What are you wearing, Jake? Yeah. State Farm. Yeah. She sounds hideous. Yeah. yeah. Khakis. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, it's a it's a funny commercial. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I would recommend is you can do that. Don't go through a specific like bike insurance company. I've only heard horror stories with that. And it's expensive. Yes. And I've heard like with crashing too, like they like pitch that, like if you crash your bike, we can cover it. And I've heard... Like a, a friend of mine, he ended up crashing his Venge, a uh, road bike, it especially it was an S-Works Venge. Bike was about, I think, 7K, uh, so an expensive road bike, right? Crashed his road bike because he went into a situation or went into a intersection, a car pulled out, just like came across the intersection. He swerved, missed them, but ended up crashing. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't his fault. The police report indicated that everything else, right, when he crashed. Still, that bike insurance company that he was paying for all they ended up covering was $500. Yeah. It was terrible. So that was his, that was, I think like the base rate for a crash replacement on a frame. And the guy ended up breaking like a wheel and like everything else. So I would recommend just looking at your renters or homeowners insurance, which if you live in San Francisco and you own a home, Number one, kudos to you. Yeah, <laughs> you can clearly afford. It. <laughs> yes, but if you're Sorry. renting in that area, uh, geez, it's so expensive. But uh, hopefully, your renter's insurance can can have something like yeah. that. So. And the other thing is, look at the details of your of your setup because I've seen people with homeowners policies where um, they get a specific bike stolen. And their insurance company says, okay, well, here are the brands or the shops or the distributors we yeah. work with. You can pick from any of these. It might not be, you know, if you had a Santa Cruz tall boy right. that was stolen, they might not work with them. So they might say, well, here's your choice. I had a friend who- You can, um, you he, can get a mongoose. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but he's actually happy because um, my friend Fritz got his Santa Cruz tall boy stolen and- ended up that the insurance company happened to work with Pivot. And so he ended up getting a Mach 429. Crazy. And, you know, got huh. the bike that he was actually thinking about buying anyway. So that was a good situation. But now for me, 
if my fourteen thousand dollar Yeti gets stolen, there's no way in hell I'm you know going right. to uh, you know a seven thousand dollar switchblade because that's who my insurance happens to work with. Right. Farmers, I'll, all I have to do is show them specs and pictures of exactly what my bike was, which we have many of, which those. we have lots of them. <laughs> yeah, and they just cover it. They're like, okay, well, what's replacement cost? That's awesome, and that's, that's the it. way to do it. And yeah. that's how State Farm is. Before our, our, I've had two bikes stolen, and they basically just asked me for a full list of all the parts and everything else. We added up the value, and then yeah. got it. So, and I've, I've luckily, I've never had to deal with that. I haven't had a bike stolen since I was like fifteen. So. Yeah. So way to do it. My um, DKSOB, man. I'm still pissed about that. Sad day. Sad day. Somewhere, somebody's just having a time of their life. Still, because that thing was a tank. It's still like <laughs> the carbon half-life of that frame is like 500,000 years. <laughs> Daniel says, hi, guys. Not a question, just a compliment. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Daniel. Thank Daniel, you. thank you. And you can also leave that. You know, you can leave questions, but you can also leave praise. And, and we appreciate that. It's good yeah. stuff. We don't do this for the praise. We do this primarily motivated because we want there to be a good mountain bike podcast. And ironically, we're the ones making it instead of listening to it. But yeah. I mean, I works. listen to it still. Yeah, but, that's know. how it goes. Uh, Steve. He says, I've been listening to, I've been listening since episode one and I learned some valuable nuggets of info from every episode. Keep it up. Uh, he says, I have a question about saddles. My mid travel 29er needs a new saddle. I ride in Northern California and I spent a good amount of time climbing in my saddle. So I value comfort over weight. Many companies state that carbon rails add to the comfort of the saddle. Is the added comfort worth the cost? First of all, carbon rails do not add to the comfort of a saddle. Don't believe that. Well, it depends. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's about flexing and about to break, I'm sure it feels pretty comfortable. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't. Like carbon rails, carbon rails are very different from like when people make carbon rails, they're solid. I hope like people, they aren't tubes. No, they are solid. So it's and it's very dense and they use a lot of carbon in there. It's densely packed together. It's it's actually in many cases, not even that much lighter. No. Uh, then, then what you get with a tie, a hollow tie rail yeah. system. And titanium is one of the best for comfort and flexibility, yeah. like just as far as vibration damping and all that. Yeah. So. And the worst part is if carbon breaks, it tends to splinter and splinter. And you got vital things. things. Yes, indeed. You don't want to lose that. So, so what you're saying is my carbon based and carbon railed fabric scoop shallow saddle yeah. that I just put on the Jekyll and had on Aurora. It's like you're sitting bad. on an M80. You're just waiting for that thing to blow. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm joking. <clears throat> no, it, and honestly, most saddles are, are engineered, you know, well with intolerances, but the, the point of the carbon a lot of the time is a price point rather than actually getting performance across in a lot of cases. Yeah. If we're, if we're honest. Yeah. Uh, now there are certain ones though, like the fabric saddle, I think kind of has like a leaf spring almost uh, design with it. Yeah. So it is designed to flex. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like S work saddles, uh, specialized makes very good saddles. They do a very good job. Say what you will about specialized. If you're a specialized hater, their saddles are very good. So yeah. their shoes. Uh, but their, their saddles, their carbon rails are not made to flex or, no, you they're know, meant to be the stiff. Version. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it isn't necessarily uh, more flexy. Yeah. So, so with that said, my super X, my Cannondale super X has the, the fabric scoop. Um, which one is it? It's the, whatever there it's the Ice nylon base scoop. with carbon rails yes. that has some really nice flex to it. And yeah. that's mostly because the nylon base, not because of the carbon rails. Mm-hmm. Then my scoop ultimate that's on the Jekyll is carbon and carbon. And that thing is substantially stiffer. So it doesn't yeah. have that flex there, but it's still a really comfortable saddle. Right. 
I I personally I, I like saddles with absolutely zero flex. Yeah. And minimal padding. I'm not saying minimal padding like just like carbon fiber or a piece of leather over it or something like that. Yeah. They still have padding, but it, the the problem for me with saddles is that I get, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to go me too with this, but get super raw after a long ride in sensitive areas and it's yeah. very uncomfortable. And what I've found is that if I'm sinking into a saddle with a lot of padding, that's usually causing more surface area to be in contact with that saddle and that skin is moving over the saddle and then that causes chafage yeah. and, and rawness. So it's much for me, it's better to have a saddle that's more firm. And at first it feels like uncomfortable. And then you get used to it after a ride or two. Yeah. And then I just have less surface area pressing into that saddle to get chafed and anything else. So I use the specialized phenom. That's an awesome saddle. Yours is the old phenom too. Yeah. The new phenom has a slightly different profile to it, a little different shape. And yeah. <clears throat> I would like, if I were to get another saddle, I would seek out somehow on the used market to find one that would be in good shape, but a previous model one. Cause well, I really like that. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that's what I always used to tell people when I worked at the bike shop is once you find a saddle that you love and can't live without buy two of them. Yeah. Cause by the time you need to replace it, it won't be available anymore. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it looks like they basically just kind of, they brought the quality. I think if you buy the high end one now, it's still similar to oh. the previous design, but I'm not, not entirely sure. But so. it's still not as light as you. Yeah. It's still not as light. It's so. still like 50 grams heavier than yep. your saddle. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I like, the Specialized Phenom. Steven, you use the fabric. You've used it WTBs before. Yeah. I, I The WTB Silverado Team tie rail was always my go-to saddle. Yeah. And I love that saddle. It's a great saddle. Yeah. Um, it just, for some reason, you know, originally I was a Volt guy. And then for some reason, all of a sudden, things just started hurting a lot on every single ride. Didn't matter how long I was riding yeah. for. So I ended up switching to the Silverado. Loved that saddle for like three years. Yeah. And now I've just found the fabric and really, really love that. Saddles fatigue. That's one thing that we've talked yeah. about before. And your body changes. That's yes. another thing that we've talked about before. So uh, your, your, your sa you won't be monogamous forever, right? Yeah. Your saddle, you will change around with your saddle. That's okay. And that's pretty normal. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd never used a Richie saddle, so I wouldn't know how to recommend them. I've only ridden one once. I didn't find it to be very comfortable. No. But, uh, physique is another brand that when I see people on those, I wonder how in the world they actually ride their bikes. Uh, those ones, maybe they're just, they work for other people, but man, for me, they do not. So, yeah. And I'll tell you some of the, some of the Sella Italia saddles mm -hmm. that have the hole through the middle. Yeah. Um, like I'm trying to think of the, uh, the, the men's version of the women's, I think it's called the diva. Yep. Um, every, every woman I put on that saddle absolutely loves that saddle. Right. The gel flow, uh, diva, I think is what it's called yeah. with titanium rails. And yep. it's a really nice saddle. The men's version, I actually rode it super comfortable, a little bit yeah. heavy, but very comfortable, right? Almost too much squish for me even. So you probably would have hated it. Right. Yeah, uh, the Sele SMP saddle, the one that- The hybrid with the duck nose that <laughs> drops down. Very strange, yeah. It's yeah. basically like uh, if you've pushed a kid, you know, you're, 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 if you have a child and you went to the park and they sat in that little, the thing in the swings, you know? Yeah. And it has like the, it's like a giant diaper. That's yeah. basically what that saddle yeah. is. And um, it, the thing- um, I, I was having a discussion with somebody about that saddle the other day and he's like, oh, well, it wasn't too heavy, you know, as I remember. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, my fabric saddles, you know, every one that I've weighed out weighs out about 165 to 170 grams. And the advertised weight on the Sella SMP hybrid yeah. is like 490 grams. Dear me, that is over it's a over pound. It's over a pound. They're Holy so cow. heavy. 
Yeah. yeah. And those ones are a little weird. I know a lot of people swear by those things, but yeah. their the, their intent is to like lock your pelvis into place so yeah. it cannot move. I don't know. I'm not really into that. So yeah. uh, let's get into uh, your number one Enduro bro or Enduro bros question. Yes. That's from the, that's the name. It says, when did 29 inch wheels become the bee's knees of gravity fed mountain biking? Seems like all the Enduro bros are, and now d- downhillers are switching over to bikes like the Trek slash evil reckoning and high tower. Let's not even start about the gripe with the, about the gripe the syndicate team got for moving to 29 inch wheels for the world cup season. Am I crazy to be thinking of getting a YT Jeff C 29 er for an enduro bike, which is a crowd favorite during the bike mag Bible by Bible of bike tests, which by the way, they do a great job with that. You should check it out. Uh, he says, I'm going to test most of these all, uh, are at the outer bike festival in Crested Butte, but thought I'd ask your experts, uh, expert thoughts before I waste my oh so precious time and money. Thanks boys. Keep up the good work. I mean, here's the deal. 29ers got a bad reputation because they were poorly impl- implemented in the beginning. Yep. And, uh, you know, wheels weren't designed to be strong enough. Frames, while being light. Yep, while being light. Frames were not designed around 29-inch wheels. Instead, it was just like slap them on and make sure the clearances are good. Yeah. And it requires a totally different approach to designing a bike. Now they have been able to design bikes so that the handling is awesome. Yeah. Really good with those bikes. It isn't in, then after you ride a really well-designed 29er and you get back on like a 26, 27, five, you'll be like, actually, this feels kind of nervous. Yeah. Uh, and you'll kind of long for it because it doesn't make it slow handling, but you'll long for that added comfort or stability or anything or confidence that you get in a 29. Rollover capabilities. That helps stability. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maintaining momentum is much easier usually because you are dropping in perhaps less to bumps. Uh, but also just the way the bike handles, you end up twitching less on it. So you end up taking smoother lines, it seems like. And, uh, so that also helps. I think that you would be, I think that you'd be in a good spot to go with a Jeff C 29er. It's such an awesome bike. It is. Uh, Uh, And for the price point, you can't beat it with anything else out there. Totally. It's really good. Awesome bike. That said, there are so many trail and enduro 29ers now that are really good. So try them out. You're going to find, I bet that you'll really like it. My brother, I thought that he would be a diehard 27.5 guy, right? Mm -hmm. And after he rode the SB55 and he rode the SB6, he rode both of them. And he was surprised himself by how much he liked the 5.5 and wanted to stick with it. So... I just geometry and construction, everything else, it's all been nailed now. Yeah. They've got it down. Uh, Dustin, last question, and probably not my brother, Dustin. He says, hi, guys, really love the podcast and that you guys are in Reno like me. Yeah, definitely not my brother. Yeah, not your brother. Yeah. He says, first, uh, Jonathan, you were mentioning the new E13 dropper that you were thinking of getting for your wife. I just just rode one of those on a YT demo bike, and my only complaint about the bike was that post. It's not infinite travel, which sucks. But, you know, infinite travel for me does not matter. Yeah, I always put mine at two or three positions anyway, but... I'm like all the way down or I'm all the way up, you okay. know, and it's just like, I don't know. But I, I have heard a lot of people, you know, that, that use it otherwise, but yeah. uh, we'll see. I've, and I think that with my wife, she wouldn't, who knows if she would want to have it be indexed or anything else like that. But uh, I, I would think that she's fine with just having the saddle out of the way or when she's pedaling, but... Um, anyways, but then he says, it was also really finicky. Wouldn't fully extend every time. So I had to keep pulling it up with the hand. 
You know what that sounds like to me? That it's over torqued. I think the seat post is too tight. Yep. Yeah, seat post Which is really common. Yep. If you have a dropper post, you have to really pay attention to torque specs. And the torque specs are not necessarily what your frame recommends, but what you need to have for the dropper post. Exactly. And a lot of the time, it's a lot less than what you think. Yep. Like for my reverb, it's like scary. I torque that thing down. It's not torqued down very much. No. But if I torque it down anymore, my reverb does not return fully. Yeah. So that's uh, that's an indication if it doesn't return fully. Could be something evolving, but it also could just be that it's too tight. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, also, the cable came loose at the lever on the ride. Uh, this one isn't the fault of the dropper, but to fix it, you have to fully remove the lever from the bars so it's away from the brake lever. Uh, that part would, I don't know how to explain that one. So. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen their lever yet. So <laughs> Yeah. I get the feeling that E13 will be inundated with warranty claims for that post. I sure hope so, not. Kind of like... KS and Crank Brothers, Crank Brothers and, and SRAM, SRAM and, and oh, wait, pretty much every every dropper except post for the Fox transfer. <laughs> Why can't we figure this out? Yeah. yeah, and and I don't. People are gonna say, "Well, my Thompson post is perfect." Yeah, well, <laughs> I have I have one customer in particular with three bikes. Yeah, and two of them have Thompson droppers. Yeah. Both of those posts have been back to Thompson three or four times each. Yeah, it happens. Well, but then I've got other customers who've never had a single. What problem about with the them. gravity dropper with the with the with the accordion dude, thing, dude? Those things, like <laughs> twenty five years later, are still working perfectly. They're still loud. They'll still bruise. You know, <laughs> yes, the undercarriage. Yeah, they still sound like garbage. But guess what? They work. <laughs> they work. They always work. Yeah, yeah. And they have a sweet shock boot on them. They do. Yeah, they to still keep let, all the dust in. They still it off of Johnny O'Mara's bike from back in like 19, yeah, like 89. Yeah. yeah pretty it's sweet. like an old lefty boot from like the mid <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says, second, when can I grab a ride with you guys? I also ride a Yeti and just not as fast as you guys. Keep the awesome content. Well, Dustin, you're probably, I, I don't know if you're as fast as me right now. You probably are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows, man? You might be faster than us. And yeah, anytime, just shoot us an email and then uh, we'll set up a time to go ride. It'll yeah. be pretty good. Definitely. Steven, let's close things out with the tips. Okay. You don't care. They're counting on your tips to live. Uh, well, you want to lead off this week? I've been doing leading uh, off for okay, a while, so I'll, we're I'll, good. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, I got this. <laughs> okay, you just go, hang out there, buddy. Go, go ahead. So I obviously sold Project Aurora, so I don't have a Yeti bike. So I was feeling very alone in the world. Yeti-less. I was very Yeti-less. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to Shields and she, I went which we should explain what Shields. Shields is. Sports is it's a, a massive sporting goods store. Yeah, they've got like a Piper J3 Cub airplane, like a bush plane hanging from their ceiling, and a seventy-two Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. Yeah. Uh, a large like water fountain, fake mountain thing with taxidermied animals that my child loves to to check out. Yeah. We've got. A, a shooting gallery, like a fake one. There's animatronic presidents everywhere. There are. Yeah, <laughs> there it's kind of interesting. Are. Yeah, yeah. There's a mini bowling alley. There's a golf simulator. There's archery range. Archery range. There's, there's a gelato bar. Yeah. Yeah. Brownie awesome. bar and gelato bar. A full bike shop. Yeah. And they're they're a chain throughout like the Midwest and West. But you know what? They are like really good people. They are it. Awesome place to buy stuff from. Sure, it's retail, so everybody gets all mad about having to pay retail for stuff. But guess what? They have a lot of stuff. Yes. Really and it's fun to go there. It's fun to just go hang out. It is. Yeah, it's a good yeah. place to go. They implemented a policy a, about a year or two ago about only allowing service animals in there, and I'm very upset about that. Oh, 
So moose. he used to be able to bring moose, and now he can't go. Oh, sad day. That's okay. Let's get back to things. So, so I was shopping around. I ended up buying another one of the the Yeti Rambler, just the twenty ounce coffee mugs, because mm-hmm. I love my Yeti mugs. But I just wasn't feeling it; like it wasn't enough. Yeah. So I went out. So I ended up buying one of the Tundra one hundred five um, coolers for five hundred dollars. Oh. And they're phenomenal. Like I. Decided to do a test when I first, you know, when I bought it last weekend and I went down to an ice company here in town, I got 20 pounds of dry ice and 20 pounds of, of water ice, Yeah, put it in there and then left it in the back of my forerunner and Monday and Tuesday, it was actually pretty warm. Yeah, it like was high. I think uh, Tuesday it was in the nineties. Yep. Um, it's cooled off since then, but it's been in my truck since Monday. So four days in. Yeah. And there is absolutely not a spot of water inside there. It's still like <laughs> 33 degrees inside there. It's crazy, man. So Make after four days, there's and there's no condensation on the outside of it. You know, it's the thing that people don't understand is, yeah, the inside is a, is a lot smaller than the outside dimensions. Yeah. So you do have to kind of upsize on those um, Yeti coolers to get you know, enough interior space. But that's but insulation. Holy crap. That's like that's all insulation. You have to have that to get the R value that you want. R is basically a rating of insulation. Yeah. To get that R value to keep that cold in and the heat out, you yeah. have to do that. Yeah. So the thing's phenomenal. It's great. Yeah. It, um, it matches the white on my forerunner really great. Very important. It's awesome. Yeah. Very important things. And it's, and it's a Yeti. So there we are. Um, they have their hoppers. They have a bunch of different products that work really well for whether you're like a mountain biker and you need to keep your, you know, your beer and your sodas cold for after the ride, or if you're into overlanding, if you're into camping in general, you know, I'm leaving on a road trip tomorrow. That's why I'm not here. Yeah. And I plan on setting everything up, all of my food and drinks inside the cooler with the dry ice and the water ice mixed and not touching it Yeah. for 10 days. That'd be pretty sweet. And I shouldn't have to. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my tip is the BMC team machine. SLR 01. And I'm sure most of you are going, huh? That's a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's a road bike. It's a road bike. Yeah. But it's not a typical road bike. It is absolutely. It has three wheels, guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's not typical, right? Yeah. That would be atypical. Yeah. Uh, No, go to bikeradar.com and you can see Ben Delaney's uh, write up on it. Ben's a good guy, a smart dude, knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And he raved about this bike and looking at it, it is the most beautiful road bike I've ever seen. So clean. Yes. Simple lines, not the swoopy weirdness of a Pinarello, not the, the, the super sloping top tube of a giant, anything like that. It's just clean lines, really good. The front end of the bike is just gorgeously simple. Yeah. There are no cables showing anywhere on the bike. It's, I think it's going to be like, there's one frame where it's DI2 or ETAP only, and that's it. So there are no ports for a large cable or anything else like that. Like everything is like really well refined. Even the derailleur hanger has a hollowed cutout section to, to keep that DI2 cable in place a little better, like, and to save weight. And, but it just looks like such a well put together bike. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think, uh, the front end of that bike, it's like. Robert Downey Jr. after he shaves, like uh, just super clean, okay, yeah, super right. I don't know why I said Robert Downey Jr. either. Because he's not very, you know, think, no. think Iron Man. Yeah. Like, he just looks ragged. Yeah, it actually kind of does look like an Iron Man. It kind of has like a bold, strong look to it the really bike. Does. But it it's doesn't, a, it's not like overbearing like the Trek Madone that's like, looks like the huge cross sections on the tubes. Like this is just so well done. You know, what's funny is I felt when I saw the head tube, top tube, down tube junction. Yeah. 
how clean that looks, I instantly thought Trek Madone, yeah. the way that it looks. Right. But then it was just like, no, it's subdued. But it's, it's, it's so there. well, it's kind of like when you like part of what makes like an Audi so good is that most of them from whatever angle you're looking at, it looks well put together and cohesive. Right. And that's what this bike has. And it's where's like BMC weird, from? Switzerland. They're Switzerland. That's right. Okay. Yes, they are Swiss. So they're so. like the Pinarello of Switzerland. Yes. They did a really good job on this bike. Fantastic. It's yeah. a beautiful bike. So uh, I'm not saying I'm going to get one, but you know, if a BMC guy's listening to this. Yeah, yeah if they need some good technical reviews and, you we, know, I will provide you so much insight. Yeah. I mean, so much insight. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, let's get back to mountain bike stuff next week. Definitely. Uh, oh, I promise to not end on, or I promise to have a tip that, that, pertains to mountain biking yeah yeah exactly well i've had tips that aren't mountain biking i mean you just talked about a cooler so yeah you know yeah very true uh you can go to mtbpodcast.com listen to this podcast share it subscribe uh check out the sweet stickers on there everything else and hopefully top cap soon that'll be good i'll have to call some folks and see what we can do there and we'll talk to you all next week thanks everybody have a nice day Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.